Hello, everybody, and welcome to Best Seat on the Couch, a podcast where screaming makes us stronger and we can smell people's emotions. My name is Alex. I'm Iris. I'm Marcus. And I'm Michael. And today, we're going to be talking about the anime series Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba. The series debuted in April 2019, running for 26 episodes, and was directed by Haruo Sotozaki and animated by Ufotable. The anime is based on the manga of the same name by Koyoharu Gotoge, which ran from February 2016 and concluded in May 2020. A direct sequel movie premiered in October 2020, but we won't be talking about it as none of us have seen it yet. The series takes place in a version of 20th, 20th century Japan, where demons hunt humans and are in turn hunted by a secret society of demon slayers. The story follows Tanjiro Kamado and his sister Nezuko after their family was attacked by a demon. This resulted in Nezuko turning into a demon herself and Tanjiro joining the Demon Slayer Corp. Looking for a way to turn Nezuko back into a human and to avenge the family, the two travel around Japan, helping people, slaying demons, and looking for the leader of the demons, a man named Muzan Kibutsuji. And I just want to say I want to congratulate myself for... I think nailing all of those Japanese names. Well done, Alex. Well done. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> and as always, there will be spoilers. Now, I brought this anime to the table mainly because in our podcast, we haven't yet covered a mainstream shonen anime. And uh, given its short length, I thought it would be uh, a bit better to tackle and more manageable to tackle than My Hero Academia. Which I very nearly as... brought in, by the way. Uh, I very, yes. very almost chose that for my last episode, but <laughs> alas. And, and uh, just to define what shonen is, shonen is the genre of a story aimed at young men and teenage boys in Japan. And I wanted to bring this to all of your attention because this show, Demon Slayer, received a lot of critical acclaim. I think it was named one of the best animes of the 2010s. And uh, after having watched it, or... Uh, I, most of you having watched it, what do you guys think? Do you think it lived up to the hype? I mean, I'll I'll start. I the first thing I'll say is that the similarities between Deku from My Hero Academia and Tanjiro from this anime are it's kind of crazy how similar they are. And I guess that's just part of the genre. As as someone who doesn't really know about shonen animes, like that's honestly like a little disconcerting as to how like cookie cutter it seems to be <laughs> but this i can understand i would say just based off of the animation alone i can understand just how kind of popular and just how excellent this anime is um naturally i was i was drawn in by the relatively short runtime and easily uh, consumable episode lengths that i could very easily watch this on my work lunch breaks but this uh this is a great story and i think you know, it falls into the same kind of tropes where, like, the, the protagonist, you know, has to, you know, look inward himself and then he gets another gigantic burst of power or whatever. I don't know. Like, I look at those things and I kind of laugh about them. But when you look past those things and you just kind of take Kimetsu no Yaiba as it is, it's a very well-constructed show. I really love every single character and I think the characters usually are the strongest parts of these animes. And I am honestly really fucking psyched to watch any more of what's going to come out later. So, I went through a journey when <laughs> watching this show. 
<clears throat> I uh I decided to watch all of it. Uh so all 26 episodes. And I think it was episode I want to say like episode 12 or 13, maybe 14. That up until that point, I was not sold on the show. It it didn't grab me and it felt very it I mean like, you know, to to not push it too hard of a point but it, it did feel very shonen and it felt kind of hollow in that sense but there was a moment and i it's not like a definite moment for me but there is there was a turning point for me where i think i started to fall in love with the show and <laughs> i honestly have no idea why I have some thoughts. There are there are things that I still don't like about it, but there are things that I grew to sort of really enjoy over time. And I think because like maybe the reason that it occurred at that point was just because we had started the sort of story arc of Mount. Uh, I I I forgot the Spider Spider Mountain Spider 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 Mountain, of course, and um, that was like my favorite part of the show, so that might be why it turned around for me, but I think that I'll I'll get into sort of more precise thoughts later. But I think I ended up really liking it and really excited to see where it goes. Yeah, I think the thing with a lot of shonen anime is that it's it. I don't know if cookie cutter, you know, the term you used, Marcus, is exactly the word I would have used, but I understand where you're going, right? There's a lot, there's a very well-defined formula to a lot of the storytelling. There's a lot of similar themes, a lot of similar stylistic elements that get included in a lot of shonen anime. Personally, I feel like, you know, you kind of have to take it for what it is, right? Like, accept that, okay, if we're, we're watching a shonen anime, be it Demon Slayer or My Hero Academia or what have you. I think a lot of these individual shows, their appeal comes from, okay, accepting, yes, we're going to be seeing this trope, we're going to be seeing this theme, we're going to be seeing this kind of characterization. Where is the variance, where is the, the, where is the uniqueness of each show kind of within that boundary? And I do think there's a lot of uniqueness. There's a lot of really interesting stuff that can be done even without deviating from that. And I guess on that point, I'm kind of curious, like, how i guess specifically to you marcus because you you talked about the sameness but i guess this is an open question like where do you feel like demon slayer is like a different show than say any other shonen anime so what i'll say to that is that um you know i agree with everything you said it's definitely something that you have to kind of when you watch these shows you have to come in in in, with the mindset that you know this trope's going to show up that trope's going to show up and you just kind of take it for what makes it unique and I'll, I think what I'll do, I already highlighted the animation. I think, you know, obviously you can give that a lot of props just for exactly what it is. It's, it's phenomenal. But Zenitsu is actually one of my favorite characters. And I know this is going to be a, a question later on. But I really enjoy what they did with Zenitsu where he is a, he, he goes against that mold. He is literally a complete wimp. Uh, for the entirety of the show, pretty much. Except when he, you know, goes to 100% power and, you know, has that really <laughs> incredibly cool 
spider scene, which we'll get to, I'm sure. But I just really appreciated something like that, where, you know, not every character is trying to live up to a superhero trope in a sense. Like, this person went through, like, legitimate child abuse for, like, his life and ended up turning that into something where he looked in inwards and then turned into someone that was better. You know, he took he took the trauma that was internalized in him and made it something that he could make good. And, you know, there's no guarantee he does that consciously. That is kind of a running joke in the show. But I, I take that as an example, I think, of where the... The directors decided to take kind of a different step towards, you know, humanizing this character and making it stand out. And I think they nailed it. I, I really enjoy the character for who he is. Yeah, and and uh, on your earlier point, Marcus, how you were comparing uh, Tanjiro to Deku in My Hero Academia. Yeah, it. to, to be fair, these uh, a lot of the shonen tropes are exactly that, tropes. And many of them fall into the same kind of categories. Like there's the completely bullheaded main character you see in One Piece who doesn't have any like internal thoughts, it's just action. Whereas you have the really cerebral kind of inward thinking protagonists that analyze situations. And I think there you get Tanjiro and you get Deku. And uh, we, we will touch on this later about how the story kind of builds but overall, I think, yeah, once you get past those tropes and once you kind of acknowledge them what they, for what they are and see how the supporting characters kind of uh, embellish and add to uh, the situation and the story, that's where you get the, to step beyond these tropes and get to really appreciate like the world and the story of each of these kinds of shonen anime. Yeah, I, I would say something as to the sort of tropiness of, of some characters. Like, as you say, Marcus, like, Zenitsu is unique in that way. Albeit, I don't think completely unique. Like, I, re I remember, like, there are some uh, some stories or shonen that have the sort of, like, wimpy character sort of thing. And they kind of, like, don't really know that they're all powerful and stuff like that. Yeah, I do I'll, think I'll, the... I'll completely see, like, I have not watched enough anime to confidently make such a claim like right there are probably characters like that in other shonens that i simply do not know about and i think that zenitsu also kind of falls under the the the, the womanizer trope like seriously calm down dude that's true um but i think that it, like even when zenitsu is under this trope and as well as inosuke actually i actually really like inosuke i didn't like inosuke at first and then like inosuke was someone that grew on me i'm like holy shit i don't know how that happened but um i i think that they're the show is willing to create dimensions for these tropey characters like i would be dissatisfied if they were a trope and stayed that way and at least with zenitsu and with inosuke both of them change over the course of the season like they still have their sort of core wants and competencies, but both of them, you know, start to see the world in a slightly different way. I actually remember a scene, well, Inosuke, right, after the after the Battle of the, of the Spider Mountain, right, he, like, legitimately gets, like, a little depressed that he, like, realizes that he's not all-powerful, and mm -hmm. so when they're, you know, rehabilitating, he kind of just, like, is in this slumpy state, and Tanjiro has to sort of bring him out of it. 
Um, I actually really liked, by the way, I really liked the episode, the rehabilitation training after uh, Tanjiro meets with the Hashidas. And I think that was for the reason, like, when these three characters, right, and as, as, uh, along with Nezuko, are sort of together and they're sort of doing their thing and playing off each other, I really enjoyed it. Like, I feel like perhaps some of the reason why I didn't like the sort of fir- the first half of the season was it was all Tanjiro and I really liked Nezuko when she was freaking on screen. She's barely on screen that's, that's true. at all. Um, and when the times that she does come on screen, she's a fucking badass and I want more of it. Like I want her to fucking kick that Tanbade so hard. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's what I like. Yeah, that's that's what I'll say about the trophy characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, building off of characters, let's dive into your favorite characters and your favorite moments in this show. Because, I mean, once again, Studio Ufotable or UFO Table. I, I'm never quite sure. I legit, I legit thought it was UFO Table, so I was surprised when you said Ufotable. But <laughs> yeah, Ufotable seems it, incorrect. I mean, I've heard it pronounced both, so I don't know. If anybody is listening, uh, please direct your submissions to our email if you have the right pronunciation. Remember, but, as a um, reminder, in case you've forgotten, you can reach us at bestseedpodcast at gmail.com. And you've yeah. definitely forgotten. <laughs> but uh, this studio has been uh, able to create these amazing sort of almost movie quality uh, series, TV anime series. And you can see in their animation that they really understand the story that they are trying to adapt and put onto screen from uh, the manga panels to the, uh, the well animation screen itself. So yeah, what, what are your guys' favorite moments? Uh, I certainly know what mine is and who my favorite character is, but I think um, you each both mentioned a little bit uh, in the section before. Um, yeah, I'll reiterate. I think that my favorite arc i mean because the show kind of comes in arcs is the spider mountain arc i think that it's it's like it's all it's, it's a little awkward for me i think it looks it's like the previous arcs i would say were around three episodes and this one is six episodes long so not only is it like extensive in its length mainly because of the number of viewpoints in the arc like we get tanjiro's viewpoint we get inosuke's viewpoint we get Zenitsu's viewpoint for an entire episode, and that's the entire episode. And we get Rui's viewpoint, the freaking the demon. And I, I think that uh, in and of itself... Okay, I have a thought. Here's the thought. When I was looking at Tanjiro fighting the demons, right? I was, I was trying to... Uh, like describe why I didn't enjoy the first half of the season's demon fights. Some of them at least. And the reason I think is that when Tanjiro defeats the demons, like sometimes they, he just does it. And I realize that this is a very shonen thing that it's very much like, do you have the determination or the res- resilience to do so? And and if the answer is yes, then the answer is yes. Um, but for me, the points when this show were really good was 
not only when this resilience was there, but when the show was able to spin existing materials in a way that Tanjiro felt smart in the way that he defeated the demon. The specific uh, example that I want to put out is that, one, the fucking hand demon in Final Selection, okay, his, his deal is that his neck is hard. Okay, how does Tanjiro solve this problem? He solves it by slashing very hard. And I realize that, yes, there are, you know, he does the sort of breathing style and stuff like that. Um, also, the stuff with the swamp demons. I'm just like, okay, he does a whirlpool thing. He's done. Um, but specifically, the fights that I enjoyed the most were the Tamati and Arrow demon fight. And then, of course the Rui's fight right and i think that the reason i liked them was because their resolutions relied heavily on tanjiro figuring out something about the demon's powers or something about himself so specifically with the arrow demon i thought it was really really cool how he's able to sort of spin the arrows back onto the guy and he, that's how he was able to fight and of course i liked how nezuko was able to finally kick the tamani because that was freaking awesome after her leg just got blown off um and Rui's fight specifically was really awesome. Not only did we get a huge display of the sort of animation prowess of this anime, but we sort of, you know, have to... We, we look inward in Tanjiro's sort of psyche to see how he defeats Rui. And then that's the... Okay, that's the one thing. Maybe that wasn't my favorite, because, oh, again, like, we didn't, we didn't expect him to actually be able to defeat a 12 Kizuki... And he ultimately doesn't, right? He chops his head off, but he's not dead. His Rui his, is still there. And it takes one of the Hashira to come and actually kill him. So, like, there there were moments where I really enjoyed the fighting. And then there were moments that I'm like, I don't... Why, why is this happening? That's it. Yeah, I mean, I think you raise a very good point. And... I'm going to try and put a different phrasing to it. Tell me if this resonates with you. It sounds like what you're describing is that you enjoyed it when it felt like the characters or the narrative earned its resolution rather than... Sure. yeah, that's fair. Because yeah, I, think, I think it's... Since we're talking about the tropiness of Shonen, right? It's another very common trope that, you know, the main character has to just, like, scream loud enough and flex hard enough and eventually they'll power up enough to, like, defeat their current thing. And, I mean, as much as I love, you know, My Hero Academia, that's another, like prime offender in that category where it feels like you know the the sort of there's this these arbitrary measures of like power and ability and you know it's just about like summoning the willpower or summoning the resolve or you know summoning the force of will to like keep going even when you know your body should be broken and your will should be destroyed you know a lot of that i think can feel very nebulous to some audiences i myself included and it's hard to sort of draw the lines between this character, like, focused really hard, and this character is, like, achieving this impossible thing. It feels like there can be a disconnect. At least in my experience. Mm -hmm. I, I, I feel like, um, I mean, in this anime, I, I concede that there are definitely some moments where it's very simple in its uh, sort of overarching themes and plot. I mean, like you said, Michael, there's the whole kind of demon of the week uh, couple, like two episode or three episode arcs where it's just Tanjiro and Nezuko just going around fighting different demons. 
Um, but I mean, I think the reason why, like Iris said, uh, the reason why that some of these fights are better than others is in a lot of these anime, we want, we try to focus on the reasons why some of these characters are fighting for, um, why are they putting so much effort in like these swings and in, again, bringing it back to My Hero Academia, there are not a lot of complicated fights in there. It's mostly just, like, tests of strength and tests of willpower. But it's the reasons behind those uh, immense, like, wills. I mean, the backstories uh, clashing together and finding which one is, quote-unquote, in the right in that moment is what I really enjoy about a lot of these <laughs> tropey shonen animes. Yeah, and well, I think it's a point that kind of extends beyond even just a discussion of shonen or just anime. Like, I think this is something that really kind of applies to a lot of television and, and, and movies today, which is that action, at least in my experience, and I think this is what we're all sort of touching on, like, action for action's sake is great, sure. But when it has meaning, when there's a justification, when there's a context when there's a reason that, you know, these action sequences are happening, it feels much fuller. It feels more fleshed out. It feels more real in many ways. And I think that, that I think is what you're trying to get at, uh, Alex and Michael. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, Marcus, please go ahead with your favorite character. Well, I mean, I, I, I already mentioned my favorite character, and I guess my favorite scene comes in that one episode that Michael mentioned, which is just solely focused on Zenitsu and Spider-Man guy. Uh, when he does the whole Thunderbolt thing and just decapitates him. Sickest scene, by the way, 100%. Um, but I, I really like the point the point that you, Alex, and you, Iris, brought up, where um, some of the things seem kind of frivolous, where they don't seem to have too much impact uh, when, when you look at it from a certain point of view. But I think what the Spider Mountain six episode... I don't know what to call a six episode <laughs> arc. Yeah, it was like um, six episodes. Yeah. Like, that whole... That whole sequence is when I think the the characters finally got their own kind of spotlight to shine. Like, instead of having the interpersonal kind of interactions between the three um, characters, like, drive the show forward, this arc took the time to highlight each individual character, tell you, you know, we already very clearly knew what their flaws were when we kind of came into this arc. And having come out of it, I think we are all kind of a little bit more educated on how they've improved themselves. We're interested in where they're going to go afterwards. We're like, and we can finally look forward to something where, like, when they interact again, it's going to be a little different. And it's going to be better than it was before. So I think that that kind of market improvement was something that I think, I, I agree with Michael, I think the, the beginning part of the show is slow up until that point where it really gets up to speed. I think also that one of the, cause the mountain uh, arc immediately follows uh, the mansion arc, right? With mm -hmm. the demon. That's the first, the first arc that they all work together as a team. I think. So here's the thing though. They don't though. Yeah, they don't <laughs> like oh, that's, it, true, that's, that's true. the, that's the arc where Inosuke appears in and his whole deal is that he's just he, like, he is fully entroped at that point um as well as zenitsu like he is fully introped until the very end you know when he kind of saves nezuko from uh you know wrath 
I think that the mountain, for me at least, was the first time that it felt like these three characters were actually in the story. <laughs> like, they were fully in, and yes, they could be separate. I actually really enjoyed the parts where Tanjiro and Inosuke were sort of, like, fighting together and kind of, you know, uh, Inosuke using his bestial senses to sense where the spider mother was and then Tanjiro kind of helping them up and then, you know, all that stuff. And and, and even when Zenizu was by himself, I think that in that moment, it felt like the anime had started. That's that's I feel like that's what I was trying to get at. With that's when it started to catch on for me, because everything before that, kind of like dragged. Like, like I I, I always forget, but he freaking right. Tanjiro meets Muzan in freaking like episode seven or eight or something like that. Right? He goes to Tokyo right after going after the swamp demons. So I'm yeah, like. Yeah. That entire, like, you know, getting to uh, meet the, the demon lady that I can't remember her name either, um, Tamayo, and finally, you know, starting to be like, oh, there's possibly a cure for, for Nezuko, that, like, it felt like it took so long to get there. That being said, like, I think that a lot of the strengths of these scenes or arcs also really depends on how interested I was in the demons themselves. Um, I don't know if I don't know if you want to segue into that, but like no, no, yeah, let's let's dive in because uh, throughout this whole uh, show, Tanjiro has been shown to be like a really kind person and really caring, and this is shown when, especially when he's fighting the various demons, uh, he always shows them kind of like kindness, uh, addressing their humanity, things like that, and. The reason is, of course, because demons in this world are derived from humans. They've been turned into demons by the, uh, <laughs> by the Ur-demon, I guess, uh, Muzan. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so what did you guys think about that? Do you think it was executed well, this sort of question of humanity in, within the demons? And also, I mean, the personalities and designs of the demons themselves. I have a thought, but I actually want to hear what Marcus says first. Well, I okay, so I'll start by saying I was a little off-put with how they treated Nezuko in that first or second, I think it's first or second episode, where she's revealed as a demon. I thought that that whole um, that whole interaction with Tanjiro, Nezuko, Nezuko, and that one other demon that. slayer guy. Tell yeah, thank you. you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was a little drawn out, I think. I think it was a little bit kind of out overplayed in that sense but and and of course nezuko doesn't really get to kind of flex her muscles and actually return into the script of the story until episode seven or eight after that i would say but i think i speak for everyone when i when i say that all the spider demons as well as uh kabuki demon uh are kind of the best ones i think they kind of show the first the uniqueness and also the human kind of origins the best um and i wanted to highlight uh mr drum demon especially because i thought the way that they he eventually he essentially defeated himself in that fight it was less so tanjiro being able to adapt to the spinning room uh because he was able to do that kind of but he was still very much kind of on the back foot for that entire fight but it was him just more coming to terms with the fact that, like, 
hey, this dude actually kind of respects my writing. I'm just going to lose now. And obviously that's a very like weird way to put it, but I thought that was really, really kind of peaceful almost. It was calming. And it was a stark contrast, I'm going to say My Hero again, because almost every fight in My Hero eventually comes to a head where you know the explosion gets to about as big as it can be. I think that... The way that they take, they the way that they treat the demons, uh, the and especially the ones that have a very kind of developed human backstory, is really interesting, and it's captivating for me to see that Tanjiro, like Tanjiro, has kind of cemented cemented himself as a character that is essentially kind of too good in the sense that like he is going to forgive every demon he slays, but it is nice to see that the demons are getting treated in such a way that's almost warrants respect. So here's my thoughts. The points in which we see the demons humanized are either after they're dead or just leading up to the point where they die. Um, you know, specifically, well, okay. I mean, pretty much all of them, except for like the swamp demons, which I don't even think they give any backstories to. Um, I don't think so. I'm just I'm just constantly shitting on the swamp demons because they were the most boring <laughs> to me. It's just like, oh, they go underwater. Oh. Um, um, I think that each of the demons had things that I enjoyed about them, but only it really only it 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 took until we got to re to Rui for me to see to for me to really enjoy a demon because the thing about the arrow demon. And the Tamati demon was that the thing that I enjoyed about them was their powers, right? That they were able to combine their powers and like, you know, shake the Tamati all over the place and chop that kid's head off. That was crazy. Um, But like one, they didn't give any backstory to the arrow demon. I don't think. And the Tamati demon, there was one instance of backstory where she was just like, anyone want to play Tamati with me? No. Okay. I'm a demon now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or, or something to that effect you know so like in that in that effect the the backstory of the demons was kind of lacking the thing about the, the the drum demon was that like his powers were kind of boring like i just he he slaps one to turn it one way he slaps another to turn it the other way and then he slaps another one for like weird claw things to happen claw attack claw attack like roll 3d6 um <laughs> and and also his backstory was I, I don't know why but i didn't find his backstory really that interesting like the whole thing was that he was a bad writer or like someone told him that you'll never be able to write and the only reason that tanjiro wins is oh because he didn't step on my writing oh ho, ho, he's such a nice guy <laughs> if it felt like i was like what what is happening and then we get to, to Rui. Like, and that's the thing. Because like all of this stuff had happened. And I remember talking to Alex before I had I had watched the first episode where they arrive on Spider Mountain. Or technically like the second half of that latter episode. They haven't even like encountered anything uh, yet. And in my mind, I was like, I don't like this show. I don't like this show yet. And then the mountain turned me around. It was Rui. Because of the fact that his powers, his backstory with Muzan, his backstory with his parents after, you know, dealing with 
him killing people and his parents are like, we're going to kill you because we have to. But also the miscommunication of them, of Rui not realizing that they were also going to kill themselves. That like all of this coalesced into the actual demons that were happening. That like he's building a demon family because he never got the appreciation his, his own demons did. And that's the entire arc. It's not like, oh, I like am a bad writer, so I'm a writer demon now, and I'm gonna fling, <laughs> fling paper at you. Like that's not what happened. So like for me, Rui's backstory was really the only one that managed to connect the powers and the emotion of Rui himself together to create a satisfying demon. So something I'm actually really curious about, uh, because this is you know a show who's who's. It talks a lot about, you know, this idea of humanity, the idea of humanity being warped, you know, and perverted into something darker by, you know, these intense emotional situations. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts as to how this show's discussion of humanity compares to, very specifically, Puella Magia Madoka Magica, which we talked about, uh, I think, four episodes ago on this show, because there are very similar themes there. Humanity you know, being changed, being corrupted by intense emotion, by despair, by grief, right? And then turned into these monstrous creatures, right? There's there's a very similar question, I suppose, inherent there. There's a very similar sort of framing of these two sides. I, I don't know. I'm very, I'm curious to hear your, your thoughts on this. I have a thought. That's actually a very interesting point. Um, I think that for me, Madoka, Madoka's sort of, uh, not thesis, but themes about emotion are very internal. Um, the, you know, the whole impetus for turning into witches, that being the element of despair, is brought upon oneself. You're right. Like we talked about the wishes sort of like producing an equal amount of despair as the effect of the wish itself. I think that in this anime, it's not that deep. It's like, it's very much external because yes, the, all of the demons are sort of dealing with a trauma of some sort, but like the reason that Rui is a demon is because Muzan is like Satan, right? That he <laughs> tempts the humans with an easy, he's the dark side. Haha. That he tempts uh, the human with an easy solution. Like, Oh, you're, you know, you're going to die you uh i should you should i should save you you're not gonna live very long or you're very weak and you can't even stand up and go outside i'll make you a demon and you'll be the strongest ever and it's sort of that kind of corruption that corrupts the human emotion i i think basically what i'm trying to say is that madoka takes negative human emotions and surfaces them into witches whereas in this anime, Muzan is the element that takes negative human emotions and twists them and turns it into demons. So it's an internal perspective versus the external Lord of all demons type thing. But I, I do see the connection. It's very interesting. And, and one thing that I'll add to that is that I think it's kind of a hallmark between the difference between a shonen anime and a shoujo anime. Where, yeah, you know, bit. the audience is very clearly different. And for young women, 
most of that kind of emotional turmoil, as displayed in Madoka Magica, is internal. It is something that it, like young girls feel like they have to kind of struggle with that themselves. And I'm not going to say that the way that young boys deal with emotional trauma is to literally hit each other, because while that's only <laughs> kind of true, it's not necessarily like an accurate way of displaying how that emotional impact is truly reflected, but it's definitely a different way, I guess in the way also the media is portrayed to those two different genres where, uh, like in a shonen anime, any kind of emotional problem that it, it kind of comes up in this demon is simply a foil for Tanjiro or Inosuke or uh, Zenitsu to kind of come around and slap him with a sword. So I I like where that thought is going. We're like, I think it's a very in- interesting highlight of how how emotion is treated just in these kinds of different genres of anime. Yeah, and I I would definitely be more inclined to agree with your latter point. Uh, like I would I think I would hesitate to sort of use this as an opportunity to make conclusions about like any inherent quality of like you know young men, young women, boys and girls. Sure, sure. But I think definitely you can take it as a sort of blueprint or or trademark of how you know, anime is marketed to these to these different audiences, you know, what the perception of their interests, what they'll be able to relate to is perhaps in Japanese mm-hmm. culture. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I also agree with a lot of what uh, Michael and Marcus and, and you, Iris, have said. Uh, it, it feels like in Madoka Magica, that sort of turmoil, that question of humanity is the singular focus of the entire anime. It is the fulcrum on which the anime kind of spins around. Whereas in Demon Slayer, especially in those first few demons, their humanity and their kind of corruption is less to highlight the individual demon themselves, and it's more to show the audience how kind Tanjiro is and how caring he is. So it's less about the demons, more about our main character. And I think that's also kind of just a simple fact of the whole demon of the week kind of uh, structure of these early uh, couple of episodes and chapters in the manga as well. Because I, I do think that the author, Gotoge, was trying to find her footing when she was writing uh, this manga. And she eventually found it after Spider Mountain. And I can only assume, I haven't read the manga yet, uh, that it gets better and uh, more focused on the demons like Rui ha- was uh, as, a, as the story goes on. So Alex, you realize that now that you've set a precedent, in another month you're going to have to bring us yet another anime that questions <laughs> the humanity of its characters and has oh, the, the supernatural well, dark do... forces changing humans into monsters. Oh, well, time to bring out Bakken. I got to break out my dark anime <laughs> list. <laughs> I will oh, say boy. one thing that I really liked was the decision at the very end of the anime. Because um, in my head, I was like, oh, they're going to have to defeat all 12 Kizuki, aren't they? And then Muzan chops those in half, uh, except for the one on the Infinity Train. So, like, you know, spoilers, but he basically just murders four of the 12 Kizuki because he's like, yeah, I really wasn't really doing a good job. And all four, all six of you just keep on dying. So I just, I don't want to deal with you anymore. <laughs> um, 
And honestly, that makes sense. Because, like, as Muzan said in those final scenes, like, of the 12 Kizuki, the six upper ones, they have never died. They have been there since the beginning. And they've killed bunches and bunches of Hashira. And really, the only ones that the Hashira have killed are are the lower ones. So, like, for me, I was like, Thank you. That was a good decision. Like, I don't want to have to deal with these lower rank uh, 12 Kizuki anymore because it's just going to be more of Rui. That being said, I do think that the one, like, I, I want to see the Infinity Train now just because of that one that's, like, beefed up on Muzan blood and uh, see how that goes. But <laughs> Yeah, I will say this anime does a pretty good job at not uh, not blurring the lines between power levels uh, of their characters. Because even after the Hinokami, even after that, like, climax at episode 19, he still didn't kill Rui. Yeah, he didn't kill Rui. And so, and then after that training arc, we finally set ourselves up for, like, an improved version of, I guess, Rui, because they're about the same. And basically, right, we're going to see it where this time, Tanjiro finally actually kills one. Uh, And that's what I'm really hoping for, that, like, like... The whole thing with Rui was that he wasn't able to kill him and that the Hashira had to come in to save them. But in the train, like, like what will be most disappointing for me is if that uh, Rengoku guy, right, the, the flame guy, just, like, comes in <laughs> and actually kills them. I want I want Tanjiro to kill this one, but, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, last thing I just wanted to cover before uh, we wrap up, I do want to ask um, Michael and Marcus, since... And I, I guess there was a little bit of this in the scene you watched, Iris. But what did you guys think of the CG, the computer graphics? Did it take you out of the experience? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I, I mean, mean, I'll go first, it, right? Yeah, I've, go I've watched comparatively little of this compared to the rest of y'all. I honestly thought what I saw animation-wise was really well done. I mean, I, I think... The, the CG stuff, I think, was placed in a moment where it made sense to have this sort of distinct visual style, right? I think, uh, you know, definitely I I know folks who disagree with me on this. Uh, and I think, honestly, even Danielle has said some things to this effect that, you know, this kind of mixing of animation styles, if it's done, you know, obtusely, if it's done heavy-handed, it can be really jarring. But I think when there's these different styles it only serves to like highlight kind of what this 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 moment is and for me at least what i saw i think the highlighting was done in the right places and just for clarification the part that iris watched was the sort of cg bubbles coming off of that water okay Um, you didn't need to call me out like this (laughs) sorry (laughs) i mean we went the whole episode without mentioning how little of the show i've watched you could have just let (laughs) me have it um I mean, I honestly, I think that what you said about what Danielle's statement was is correct, in, in my view. That, like, if it's done incorrectly, it can be very jarring. I think that there are, most of the time in this anime, it is done very well. That being said, there were a few moments, like, I wouldn't say that, like, you know, there was a few moments of that looked like rotoscoping, and there was a few moments that definitely looked CG, but those I didn't really mind as much. I think that there were a few moments when there were CG moments of human characters, specifically Tanjiro. And I mm-hmm. can't pinpoint specifically when this is. It's like in the in in my brain space. 
But there was one, at least one shot that I do remember that was, I don't think it was rotoscoped. If it was rotoscoped, then it was rotoscoped really badly. But if it was a CG Tanjiro, like getting up out of the, off the floor or something. And that one really did take me out of it. Um, just because I don't think it looked that good. Um, it's again, it's really hard to say whether or not like any of this is like good or bad. Like so much of, so much of it is subjective. And if you didn't notice it, then you didn't notice it. But, um, I would say on the whole, most like 90% of the CG that they do is very good. It's, it, like, I think that the best CG are the effects, like the water and the fire and the blood. It's, there's so much freaking blood, but, um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, and I, I don't have too much more to add to that, except that I think in some places it does... It's definitely different enough, when whenever they do some of these effects, it's definitely different enough to pull you out of that kind of immersion. Um, I'm not quite sure that that's necessarily as bad as I think that's kind of made out to be. I think sometimes when you see it happen in a very... Full disclaimer, like... I kind of really enjoy a lot of the cheesier scenes where it like it literally looks like something out of a manga or something. So like when those things happen, like I can't necessarily blame them for essentially going over the top in trying to make it look kind of ridiculous because what is happening on the screen is ridiculous enough that like I can justify it. That's fair. And like but but I agree overall with Michael, I think for the most part with a couple of exceptions it's all very tastefully done and it's all very masterfully done. And I, I would also say that like compared to some of the animes that we watched prior, um, I think the, the kind of effects that they added to, especially the sword slashes and the, you know, kind of final moves or whatever is better than we've ever seen before. So mm-hmm. to them, I give them yeah. props. Yeah. Yeah. I will, de- I will say that the use of CG in this anime is, uh, I mean, in the fight scenes are gorgeous. Um, and even in the sort of character models where they swap out the 2D animation for like a 3D character model when Tanjiro's walking down a road or something, they're not as bad as some of the other examples out there. Like when some, some other, yeah, some other animes replace like entire crowds with CG and that just immediately like full stop brings you out of the experience. So, uh, yeah, studio, uh, the Ufotable is... No, they know what they're doing. Uh, but because this uh, series, well, at least in the anime, the manga has finished, has concluded, but the anime has not yet concluded, it's time to get up off the couch once again and go over to our theory wall. Ooh. And, of course, as a reminder, our theory wall will be a bunch of theories that I have brought forward... Uh, that we will address once this series is over and done with and see if any of us got it right. So, the first theory I would like to uh, pose is for you, Iris. Oh, yeah, I'm ready. Give it to me. Okay, so the whole impetus of this show is Tanjiro is trying to find a way to, one, get revenge for his family, and two, find a way to cure Nezuko. The theory I proposed to you is by the end of the series nezuko will not be cured she will stay a demon i am gonna disagree with that i think i think nezuko is going to become 
a human again by the end. It wouldn't surprise me if Tanjiro ends up, I mean, not like fully renouncing, but like perhaps lessening his grip on the whole revenge thing. But I think because so much of the show is just focusing on Tanjiro and his character and his kindness and like the unbreakability of their bond, I would not accept it if he did not rest until he figured out how to cure her. So I think, I think she's gonna, I think she's gonna make it back to being human. All right. Iris says uh, she will be human. I have a thought. All right. Wait, can I, can I say a thought quickly? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So they didn't address this in the anime whatsoever. And I was actually really confused, but isn't it the case that Muzan himself is the one that turned Nezuko into a demon? No. Yes. Yes. So doesn't that make her like, something really special like i don't feel like muzan does that a lot well the thing is all demons come from muzan right but like ultimately right because rui creates some demons but not directly through muzan right but that's just because rui has well some of muzan's blood or i forgot didn't he like take demons already and then just like change their appearance oh you're right about that also rui definitely had some comments about Nezuko being different from the rest of the demons. I do remember mm-hmm. that, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, she's I, gonna I be different. Think yeah. From from what I remember, I think it's explicitly said that demons can't reproduce. Yeah. They all come from uh Muzan infecting people. Okay. Uh I will double check on that. Okay, that's <laughs> fair. That's fair. Um, but the second theory that I'd like to posit is for you, Marcus. Oh boy. So this theory is, states that by the end of the show, Gyu Tomioka, aka the uh, person who finds and saves Tanjiro and Nezuko at the beginning, is killed by Muzan to kind of as a show of how powerful Muzan is, and eventually when Tanjiro kills him, show how far Tanjiro has come. Well, I. I... I do think it was very poignant to have Gyu show up and, and cut up the big muscular spider guy that Inosuke was fighting on Spider Mountain just to kind of hammer that point home about how how much more advanced those guys... I can't remember the name. starts with an H. Those guys Hashida. are... Th- thank you. Hashida are so much more advanced than the kind of lowest level that uh, Inosuke and Tanjiro are. So... In terms of pure kind of shonen tropiness, I have no, no other choice but to agree with that theory in saying that that is exactly what is going to happen. And having Tanjiro eventually evolve to the point where he is above that, I would expect to be kind of like the conclusion to the entirety of the end. So, yeah, I, I, I'll, I would see that point hammered home. I really, I'm not really sure I care which way or the other. Like, if that doesn't end up happening, I don't think I will be, you know disappointed or have my expectations subverted or anything but i think it's gonna happen mm-hmm. i i personally agree with you marcus yeah. i i think the, the opportunity is there and i'm pretty sure uh the author will take that we'll take it, <laughs> some hashida are gonna die yeah it all depends on how many are gonna die in True. the end truly um all right and this last theory is for you michael so throughout the show there has been a running gag where uh, it's shown that Tanjiro's headbutts deal an immense <laughs> amount of damage. Yeah, they do. Um, one was to Inosuke's forehead. The other one, he deflected like the hand demon's hand yeah. with his forehead. Um, so my theory is this. 
Um, Tanjiro's headbutting, in some way or another, will give him an advantage. Or, like, it'll be incorporated into a move or, like, a finishing blow somehow in the final Muzan fight. Huh. Well, okay, I mean, I feel like that's, like, just a good writing choice to do that. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess I have to agree with you that, like, if they didn't, if he didn't headbutt someone, or if he didn't headbutt Muzan him, like, themselves, I would be disappointed. So I guess I have to agree with you that, uh, yeah, let's let's have his headbutt do some uh, bonus damage. Yeah, <laughs> stuns him or something. And, and like, yeah. and like, let's be clear: it's perfectly possible that like it turns into the the trope where like he does it and like he expects it to work, but then like Muzan is like, "Fuck that!" Like that, that yeah, yeah. Did you actually expect to be able to damage me with your yeah, headbutts? Yeah, it's, you fool! It's... I'm not even using one percent of my true power. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm only using half of my percent of my power. Like, but I think Michael is absolutely right. It would be a poor writing choice not to end up kind of bringing it all the way home so yeah all right so just to just to review iris says nezuko will be cured by the end of uh the series uh marcus says gyu tomioka will be dead by the end of the series probably at muzan's hand and michael says that a headbutt will be used in some fashion in the final battle against muzan well we're gonna have to find out if we're right when this anime comes to its conclusion. I have a question. Yeah. If it turns out that the anime, and I'm not even sure that this is going to happen, if it turns out that the anime deviates from the manga, who, who, who which one are we <laughs> That's a really good point. Ooh. I um, think the anime, right? Like, because we're talking I, I, about the we, anime okay, here, we're not talking be, about the manga. To be fair, right now, according to Alex, the manga is done. The manga's done. So like right, but but that's why we have to wait because you know it's possible the anime could deviate. No, I know that's yeah. what I'm saying, but I'm saying that like ultimately, right now the manga has like staying power. It's not like both of them are unfinished and we could see it go either way. It's like the manga is done, and so all of these questions are technically answered. But that is the thought. Yeah, I, I will say I, I'm going to go read through the manga um, like right after we're done recording right now. <laughs> uh, spoilers, <laughs> but I, I I'm pretty sure that they won't deviate too far yeah. in uh, when when adapting manga to anime, unless it's some sort of, like, well, it works better this way in animation than it does in the manga. Um, they're pretty pretty consistent. The only deviation that happens is, I mean, Full Metal Alchemist when there wasn't any source material right. to adapt yeah, that, from. That's a different example, I would say, but yeah, we'll just have to wait and see uh, if any of them are right. Uh, so join us next time when we eventually watch the movie and eventually finish the series whenever Studio Ufotable comes out with the ending. That'll do it for us, folks. But thank you so much for listening. Uh, this week's uh, YouTube video is called In Between by Goblins. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Go check it out on YouTube. But uh, once again, thank you so much for listening, everybody. And you will hear from us next week. Bye-bye. Thank Goodbye. you. Thank you, everyone.